written for our admonition. So when we see Reuben and sexual immorality became an issue and it calls him back, we want to say, Lord, I don't want to make the same mistake as Reuben. When we see Simeon and Levi and their issue is anger, wrath, cruelty, self-will, we need to say, Lord, we don't want to make the same mistake as Simeon or Levi. It's been said throughout the ages that actions have consequences. Today's society seems to be bent on denying the reality of that statement. But even thousands of years ago, it was the case, as Pastor Daniel will share today. Three of Jacob's sons had done things that were pretty awful. Maybe they thought that those deeds were forgotten. But you'll learn that those sinful acts are going to affect their descendants as well. Now here's Pastor Daniel in Genesis chapter 49 as he continues his message, Jacob's Prophecy. Sexual immorality runs rampant in all cultures. The sexual immorality of the 21st century West is pretty much the same thing as it was in Roman culture. The only difference now is that we have it in magazine form, we have it in internet form, and all the other forms. But sexual immorality debases a soul. That's what it does. It cheapens what God created in his own image for his own glory. And I really want to encourage all of us to study what the Bible says about sexual immorality because it is too common within the body of Christ. It shouldn't be named among us as saints. But as I said, if you've made mistakes, there is grace for you. And like the woman caught in the act of adultery who was brought to Jesus and the people there wanted to stone her to death, he said, listen, I don't condemn you either, but what? Go and sin no more. So there is grace for you, but brother, sister, go and sin no more. And I want to encourage you, if you are here today or you're listening online, I want you to talk with your pastor, whether at your local church, come talk to a pastor here. Once you bring sin into the light, then it can be dealt with. But as long as you keep it a secret, Satan can continue to play with it. So bring it out into the light. Drag it into the light. Confess it. Allow somebody to pray with you and encourage you. There'll be no condemnation. Why? Because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But it doesn't help you to have a secret sin that nobody knows about. Because then you just keep doing it and nobody knows. But when you drag it into the light and you allow someone to pray with you and encourage you, that's where the change begins. But you got to drag it into the light. And I know... Listen, all of our sin is the same. All of our sin is like those little bugs under a log. It likes it under there. It's dark, moist, a little warm. Then you lift that log up. What happens to all those little bugs? They scatter. They don't want to be in the light. That's the way our sin is. All of our sin is like that. We flee the light because the light is so revealing. It's too honest. But brothers and sisters, listen, it's about God's glory. 
And God created the act of intimacy between a husband and a wife, between a male and a female, as the physical manifestation of the oneness of flesh that Jesus has with his church. And he made it glorious. And it makes sense that cultures that reject God debase that. Because they want to obscure God's glory in the unity, the one fleshment of a man and a woman, of Jesus and his church. And I believe that in Jesus' name, we need to reclaim sexuality for the glory of God. Not some sort of oppressive sexuality, but a God-honoring sexuality. Amen? It's said that Reuben would not excel. When you read your Bible, you will find no judge comes from the tribe of Reuben in the book of Judges. No kings from the tribe of Reuben ever. And no prophet from the tribe of Reuben. Wow. So Jacob wasn't kidding. Now, verses 5 and 6. So we move to Simeon and Levi. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Instruments of cruelty are in their dwelling place. Let not my soul enter their council. Let not my honor be united to their assembly. For in their anger, they slew a man. And in their self-will, they hamstrung an ox. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce. And their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Yikes. I mean, that's rough, isn't it? But remember, this is all about what went on in the book of Genesis, in the Dinah incident, in chapter 34. Everything about their brothers, but their instruments of cruelty. So remember what happened? When they were upset about Dinah, and they had those guys get circumcised, and on the third day, when the pain was the worst, they went and they overcame them. And what's interesting is, is that is the defining point of their lives. Because all the way through, it talks about their cruelty, their anger, their self-will, their wrath. It's interesting that two future revolts against Moses involve the descendants of Simeon and Levi. Zimri in Numbers 25.6, he was from the tribe of Simeon. The rebellion of Korah in Numbers 16, he was of the tribe of Levi. So this speaks in a sense of those kind of generational curses, those generational sins. Now, of course, I want to bring out the reality that something that will hold us back is anger, wrath, self-will. You know, listen, the Bible was written for our admonition. So when we see Reuben and sexual immorality became an issue and it caused him back, we want to say, Lord, I don't want to make the same mistake as Reuben. When we see Simeon and Levi and their issue is anger, wrath, cruelty, self-will, we need to say, Lord, we don't want to make the same mistake as Simeon or Levi. And let's be honest. We all struggle with anger sometimes, don't we? Sometimes we're just cruel with people. We say things simply to hurt people. It's so common. But we need to ask the Spirit of God to do battle against our anger. Don't miss this, that God is in a transformative process in all of our lives, isn't he? So if you're here today and you're thinking to yourself, man, I have anger issues, anger management problems. The key is is that you see growth over time. You know what the best New Testament example of it is the Apostle John. The Apostle John became known as the Apostle who Jesus loved, right? The disciple who Jesus loved. 
But if you read the Gospels, John was also called the son of thunder. Because when a Samaritan village would not accept the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ, he said, listen, let's just call down fire on these guys and get rid of them. I mean, talk about anger management problems. He's like, man, let's just consume these guys with the fire of God. Let's go, Jesus. They didn't accept you. Let's just wipe them out. But by the end of his life, he's the apostle whom Jesus loved. I mean, every single chapter of 1 John is about love. It's about love. It's about love. Why? Because love is where God is at. And so if you're here and you're struggling with cruelty, you're struggling with anger, you're struggling with self-will, let the Lord transform your life and you will see growth over time. You might be like the Apostle John. You used to be really, really angry and now you just talk about love all the time. Because that's the way God changes a human soul. By his spirit. By his spirit. Anger and violence will cause desolation. That's what happens. And we need to ask God for grace. Now, moving on. Verse 8. Judah, you are he whom your brothers shall praise. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's children shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He bows down. He lies down as a lion. And as a lion, who shall rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes. And to him shall be the obedience of the people, binding his donkey to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He washed his garments in wine and his clothes in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. Now, imagine you were the brothers, the sons of Jacob, and you're sitting there, right? And you hear the prophecy over Reuben and you think, ouch, right? Then you hear the prophecy over Simeon and Levi and you think, oh man, it's going to be one of those days with that. It's just getting mad. And then all of a sudden with Judah, out of nowhere, Judah, which means praise, you are he whom your brothers shall praise. Wow. How cool is that? All of a sudden, Judah, you were rightly named. Your name, your brothers will praise you. And not only that, look at what it says. It says, that your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Now, when you think about that symbolism or that picture, it means when you're in hand-to-hand combat, and I can't say I've done a whole lot of that in my life, but if I were, I'd want my hand on someone's neck. That's a place of power. That's a place of control. And that's what it means, that Judah will be praised by his brothers, and he is in a place of strength because of that. It's interesting Your father's children shall bow down before you. Notice that. Your father's children shall bow down before you. Now think about it. Didn't we hear about this already? Who had a dream that everyone was going to bow down to him? Joseph, right? And in the book of Genesis, Joseph ascends to a place of prominence through the sovereign purposes of God in the land of Egypt. But now he says, Judah, your father's sons will bow down before you. Wow. 
So it's not for Joseph, even though it happened in a temporal sense in Egypt. Ultimately, it's for Judah. And then verse 9, he starts talking about a lion. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, he shall have gone up. He bows down. He lies down as a lion. And as a lion, who shall rouse him? Now, when you think about a lion, anybody ever see the Lion King? Akuna Matata, brothers, sisters. It was so fun when we were in Africa. We would talk to the pastors and they'd say, Akuna Matata. And I'm like, yeah, Akuna Matata. And he's like, you've heard of that? I'm like, yeah, I saw the Lion King. <laughs> and then they kind of like kick and shake their head. I'm like, you guys don't like the Lion King, do you? He's like, well, I'm sure your kids like it. That's what they said. I'm sure your kids like it. I'm like, yes, it was very good. Akuna Matata, brother. <laughs> that was a fun little moment for me. But when you think about the lion, what is the lion? The lion's the king of the jungle, right? Isn't that what we learned from the Lion King? And if you are out on safari and you see a lion, what do you do? You run, right? Or you jump into one of those Range Rovers and hope that someone drives really, really fast. Why? Because the lion is the strongest. The lion has the kingship over God's created order. And then you find out in Revelation chapter 5, verse 5, it says, Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. Who is the lion of the tribe of Judah? Who is the root of David? Who is that? Jesus. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. That is why, if you've ever read the Chronicles of Narnia, that C.S. Lewis masterfully makes Aslan what? A lion. He's pulling it right out of this. But this was talked about in the book of Revelation, but it was prophesied where? In the book of Genesis. So already in the mind of God, before Exodus even happened, before anything went on with any pharaohs other than the children of Israel settling there, God already had prophesied that the Messiah was going to come from the tribe of Judah. And the royal line was going to come from the tribe of Judah. Because we know that King David was what? From the tribe of Judah. That's where he was. You read in 2 Samuel chapter 22, verse 41, you have also given me the necks of my enemy so that I will destroy those who hated me. Notice, you gave me the necks of my enemies. And this is why your New Testament begins with a list of names. I don't know how many times I've given out the Bible to someone. I'm like, listen, start at the Gospel of Matthew. And I'm like, but listen, the first 25 verses is a big list of names. And I'm like, all you need to know about those names is that those names tie you to everything that happened in the Old Testament. So don't worry about the names. You can have fun reading them if you want to. But you have to understand, the reason that's there is because it ties everything about Jesus to everything that happened in the Old Testament. And that is why in the book of Luke's Gospel, chapter 3, in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1, and why our New Testament begins with a list of names, because you will find that Jesus comes both from his mother's side, his mother according to the flesh, Mary, the mother of his humanity, not his divinity, and then from his father's side in Luke's gospel, that both of them come through the tribe of Judah. Because Jesus is the fulfillment of this prophecy. Now, notice this. Because not only is he a lion, 
But in verse 10, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. Notice that. The Messiah is a lawgiver. When you think of a scepter, a scepter was a king's accessory. That's what it was. So it speaks about the Messiah having a law capacity and a kingly capacity. And notice what it says. The scepter shall not depart. So a king from the tribe of Judah shall not depart, nor a lawgiver from between his feet. And that's a way to say one of his offspring. Notice, until Shiloh comes. Now, there is a ton, a ton of scholarly debate over what Shiloh actually means. Shiloh comes from the same root as the word shalom, which in popular vernacular is peace, bro. That's what the word, I I was being cheeky, peace, bro. It's actually funny, uh, Pastor Jason, his son Sam, they got him a shirt that said, shalom, (laughs) y'all. So I thought that was really cute too. And every time I see little Samuel and I'm like, shalom, y'all. It's really cute. But the word Shiloh, it comes from the same root as shalom, which is the word for peace. And not peace in like the pop sense, but peace in the sense of universal flourishing. A man named Cornelius Plantiga, who was a theologian and a seminary professor, defined the word shalom as the way things ought to be. In God's perfect act of flourishing, that is shalom. The reality of this is that the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet from Judah, until the one who brings peace comes. And what's so fascinating, what's so fascinating historically about this is that when the Romans took away the power from the tribe of Judah in the early decades of what we now call the AD time, we know that Jesus was, we say he was born around 0 AD, we don't really know, and he died around 33 AD. But when the Romans removed the right to make laws from the tribe of Judah, people wept in the streets saying, the prophecy in Genesis 49 was unfulfilled. But what they didn't realize was that there was a baby who was already born in a manger in Bethlehem. So although they lost the power to make and administer laws and to be kings, they didn't realize that the king of kings and the Lord of lords had already been born. Wow. I mean, listen, you can line this up with Roman history. Read the writings of Josephus, who was a Jewish man who wrote the history of the Jewish people for the Romans. I'm not making this stuff up. This all lines up. It lines up. That even when the Romans removed the right of the kings who came from the tribe of Judah to rule in the way they had historically, the Messiah was already born. Until Shiloh comes and notice, and to him shall be the obedience of the people, binding his donkey to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He washed his garments with wine and his clothes in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. Now, think about this. We have donkeys, wines, and blood-washed garments. You might say to yourself, what? Now, first, you have to think of the picture Would you ever tie a donkey to your choicest vegetation? No, right? Because what would the donkey do? He'd eat it. 
Just the same way, like you wouldn't let me guard over your favorite cannolis. Because I will guard them by digesting them. Right? So you don't tie your donkey to the choice vine. But you would tie your donkey to the choice vine if it was a time of total abundance, wouldn't you? And that's why, I mean, listen, if you're worried about currency wars and stuff and you're liquidating your fiat currencies and buying gold, in heaven it says that the streets are paved with it. That speaks about the abundance of heaven, the abundance of the presence of God, what we clamor for. That's just asphalt in heaven. It speaks about abundance, the abundance. But don't miss the reality. Of course, you think about a donkey and it makes you think of the triumphal entry where Jesus, instead of getting on a white stallion, gets on a little donkey and rides on in. Notice this. It's amazing. Look what it says. He washed his garments in wine and his clothes in the blood of grapes. What a strange thing to say in the book of Genesis. The blood of grapes. What did Jesus use to symbolize his blood? Wine, right? We use grape juice. So we're a little more spiritual than Jesus. Think about this. This is in the book of Genesis. Thousands of years before Jesus walked on the earth, they're talking about the blood of grapes. Because all of this is pointing to the finished work. Now think about this also. The idea of blood-washed garments. Listen to Isaiah chapter 63, verses 1 to 4. Who is this who comes from Edom with dyed garments from Basra? This one who is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength. I who speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Why is your apparel red? And your garments like one who treads in the winepress. I have trodden the winepress alone, and from the people, no one was with me, for I have trodden them in my anger and trampled them in my fury. Their blood is sprinkled upon my garments, and I have stained all my robes, for the day of vengeance is in my heart, and the year of my redeemed has come. And what's interesting is in Revelation chapter 19, when Jesus returns to judge the living and the dead in Revelation 19, 13, it says, he was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. In Revelation 19, 15, now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. In the book of Revelation, By the Spirit, the Apostle John aptly puts together Jesus, the Lamb of God, and Jesus, the Lion of the tribe of Judah. And that is Jesus in both of his advents. In his first advent, he came to die as a sacrificial atonement for the sins of the world. When Jesus comes again, he comes to judge the world as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And brothers and sisters, listen, if you are in here today and you have never trusted in Jesus, the Lamb of God, You need to, because when he returns, and trust me, he will return, he is going to come. And at that point, a no decision is a no decision. Today, Pastor Daniel spent lots of time talking about Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi. Jacob made note of their anger and cruelty and how, because of the things they'd done, the blessings from God would be diminished. Pastor Daniel shared some of the things that notable descendants of these two brothers did. None of them were good. 
When we let our emotions rule us, bad things can happen and we can lose the blessing of God. Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel here. I realize that there are many of you, you're not a born again follower of Jesus. You've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. But as you've been listening, you've been saying to yourself, I wanna begin to follow Jesus. I wanna help you do that right now. We're gonna pray a simple prayer that just acknowledges who Jesus is in your life. Pray this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, I'm giving you my life. Thank you for saving me. I believe in you, your life, your death on the cross, and your resurrection. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. For those of you who just received Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, I'm so excited for you. I wanna help you take your next steps with him. So pull out your mobile phone, text the word SAVED to 51400, S-A-V-E-D to 51400. And my team will get in touch with you. We wanna get some more resources in your hands to help you on this journey. Join us again here on Jesus Is Real Radio when Pastor Daniel closes out his teaching, Jacob's Prophecy. We're going to hear mainly about Jacob's son, Judah, and Jacob's foretelling of Judah's descendants. It's going to be quite impressive, although most of these prophecies won't happen for several hundred years. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Daniel continues teaching through this series called Brothers. That's next time on Jesus Is Real Radio.